0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message.
1: Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish high holidays. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, wouldn't you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the water when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who would say such a thing as that, they demanded. The man did not know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you're well, stop sinning, or else something worse may happen to you. When, that, when the man? then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hey, good morning.
0: Let me mute this No, <clears throat> oh, I didn't mute it after all. <laughs> I don't know how this, this battery pack works after all. Well, it's great to be with you. Um, What a treat to be together again. My name is Ben. It is a treat to be up sharing God's word with you, Uh, a a joy to be with my friends. I love April and Sean. So when Sean called and asked if I would come up, I was like, absolutely, I would love to do that. Um, And as you heard just a moment ago, we are going to be looking at this passage in the book of John about a question that Jesus asked. This, the this series, Questions Jesus Asked, is where we're at. And I, I was here last week, and we were looking at a question um, about drinking from the cup. And, and the, the translation, the New Living Translation says, are you prepared to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I am to drink of? And we were looking at what it looks like to suffer. And, and, and as we started there last week, I want to start here and just... Put the baseline out that Jesus asks some not fun questions. Let's just start with that, okay? Because we're gonna move into and we're gonna see that Jesus gets right into and pokes at the nerves in our lives. The questions Jesus asks can be very frustrating. Sometimes, like last week, uh, we, we saw that somebody had asked Jesus a question and Jesus, instead of just answering yes or no, asked a question in return. Thanks a lot, Jesus, that doesn't help me. Just give me the answer that I want. Other times, the questions come, they're not prompted, they're not kind of trying to spin a question back to the the original asker, but they are difficult, difficult questions. And I think that is because Jesus is in the business of bringing us to a place of looking deeper. Jesus is in the business of calling us to trust him in newer and sometimes more difficult ways. Last week, we were in the mud and in the muck with the cup of suffering, and we're going to stay kind of in a, in a difficult, challenging spot. What do we do when we, when we face suffering we were looking at yet last week? Because he said, can you drink from the cup that, I can, that I'm preparing to drink? And it's in, in some ways a rhetorical question because the answer is yes. Yes, we will face hardships. So we were looking at difficulties, challenges, suffering that are external last week, this week, we're going to turn the magnifying glass a little bit into our own lives, to the, own, the challenges that each of us face here as, as we look at this question from John chapter 5, do you want to be healed? Have you ever had anybody ask you questions that really shouldn't be a question it's like, well, I'm not sure if you needed to ask me that. I, I, um, so my job, I work in the city of Everett. I was a pastor in Everett for many years. Um, and I started a new role that the mayor created uh, at the beginning of last year. I'm the Homeless Response Coordinator for the city of Everett, which means I coordinate all of the efforts to address homelessness in the city of Everett. And uh, so I, I'm on the mayor's staff and we get a lot of people who are emailing or calling the mayor's office with all sorts of concerns, very valid about their, their fears, their frustrations. They're upset about something that they saw or they experienced regarding homelessness. And the mayor's administrator is this sweet lady named Deb. And Deb will often email me or call me and say, hey, somebody just emailed us a really nasty email. W- would you like to email them back? Or, hey, Jimmy's on the phone again for the 17th time this week. He's really irate about XYZ issue, whatever it is that's happening, the, the current hot spot of, of problems and ever. W- would you like to speak to him for 30 minutes or so? Like, Dev, that's not a question, really, because the answer is no. Just, just say, please email this person. Please talk to this person. Please spend the next 45 minutes of your life Speaking to somebody who, who doesn't trust you, doesn't believe you, doesn't want to actually have any answers. Just go do that. That's not a question, Deb, that you need to ask. And today, I think the question, when we look at it at, at face value at first, we're like, I'm not sure, Jesus, if that's a question, really. Do you want to be well? But I want to uh, just unpack this scripture a little bit. We're going to go through, we, we just read it in, in its entirety I'm gonna take it kind of uh, uh, deconstruct and we're gonna look at uh, um, passage by passage and there's just a few observations I'd like to make with you. And the first one really is just coming into and acknowledging and recognizing the brokenness The passage starts, John chapter 5, in Jerusalem by the sheep gate. I'm reading out of, it sounds a little bit differently because I'm reading from the English uh, Standard Version. There's in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. It says, so, so there's this, this, this location outside of Jerusalem, and it's, it's a big covered area. It says, in these pools, in these colonnades, there was a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed individuals. And I, I, I try and picture Jesus coming into these pools and imagining if he's stepping over people, says there's a multitude. He, he, he's surrounded by brokenness. It's like exhibit A here at the pools of, of Bethesda of the broken realities of the world. In the first century, there wasn't cataract surgery, right? So, so So if you had an issue with your eyes, there's nothing people can do except maybe get you to this pool and hope. If you fell and you broke your leg at any point, they didn't have the medical facilities. And and, and if your leg wasn't set right, if it didn't heal right, that's what you got. You got an issue, you got a problem. You are potentially permanently disabled. And so Jesus is in this location kind of stepping around the multitude that John writes, the multitude of invalids the multitude of the broken humanity. All of these people, people who were led there, blind individuals, people who, were, who had hobbled their way there, people who were carried there. And in verse 5, it says that one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, I've got a nine-year-old daughter at home, so we could turn this into a simple Story problem that my daughter might have in her class. If you are a 60 year old man and you've been an invalid, as John says, for 38 years, how old were you when this problem first arose? Anybody? Simple math at 934. 22, hey oh! 22 years old. I found this on the web. Oh, Siri. Dang it. Thank you. So helpful. 22 years old. I'm 42 years old. If I was in this man's position, I would have been four years old. So if you had said, how long have you been dealing with this? Basically my whole life. 38 years he had been there. And here's something that's worth noticing. And actually... As we talked about suffering last week, I I wanna draw this parallel here. The text says that Jesus saw this man and he came near. He learned the details. John records all of this. It wasn't just a dude who was broken. It wasn't just a guy who had been there. He says that Jesus saw him and came near and, and learned 38 years he had been suffering. Jesus saw him. Last week when we were talking about the, the external influences, the, the suffering, the persecution, the problem, I, I, uh, I, we, we looked at Exodus chapter 2, one of the most powerful uh, passages, in my opinion, in Scripture. Exodus chapter 2, the Israelites had been enslaved for 400 years and they cried out to the Lord. And at the end of chapter 2, it says, God heard their cries. God saw them. God remembered and God knew and here we are at this place the pool of Bethesda and Jesus saw this man can you just say that with me he sees me can you say that he sees me he sees me Jesus saw his physical pain Jesus sees you in the places that are broken in your life he sees your physical pains He sees your anxiety. Jesus sees your debilitating grief. If you're having a struggle with children, wayward children, boy, sleepless nights, Jesus sees you. And I can keep going. We can make this list just on and on and on and on and on of the brokenness, of the pain, of the unwell places in our life. Jesus sees you, friends. Jesus sees you. And so John writes that that Jesus was by the pool. When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew he'd been there for a long time, he said this, do you want to be healed? Kind of an interesting question. Surrounded by the multitude of invalids, multitude, I I can't even imagine how many people are, Jesus asked this man, this isn't very cool. You want to not do this anymore? But when I sat with this this week as I was looking at this, it's a pretty fair question to be perfectly honest with you. So so in my role in in engaging with homelessness, engaging with all of the symptoms of the broken world that we see demonstrated in that, with with, uh, drug addiction, with the the challenges and encampments, behavioral health issues, all that stuff, um, part of my team is Social workers. We have social workers who work with our police force. We have social workers in our fire department and in the public libraries. And these social workers do great work. They're deployed to really the, the, the most challenging pockets of poverty, of brokenness that we know about in Everett. And they go out and interact with individuals living in encampments. And they make referrals. They, they, they invite people to rehab, to diversion centers, to resources for, for medical treatment, all sorts of things. Last year, last year, our embedded social workers in Everett interacted with just around 940 unique individuals over the course of a year. And we were kind of mathing out what that looks like, what, what, what has been accomplished in that. And we kind of discovered something pretty astonishing the ratio of people when they're asked do you want help do you want service can we can can we assist you with something for about for every 100 individuals that are offered help that are offering the first step towards healing eight say yes and that is not an indictment towards a, a marginalized population that's the reality when Jesus looks at this man and says, do you want to be healed? It's, that, it's a tricky question. Because me wanting, in my context, me wanting unsheltered individuals to have a different life will never be the same, will never be as effective as that unsheltered individual wanting a different life, right? Right? Rehab isn't for people who need rehab. Rehab is for people who want it. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Sometimes for me, friends, the answer is no. No, not really. I want my challenges at work to go away. I want my wife to be different, I want my kids to behave. I don't want to change anything here, but I want different results out there. Anybody? Do you wanna be healed? Seems like a simple question, but I think it's fair to actually sit with that. Do you wanna be healed? Sometimes I'm like, no, Jesus, I don't. Cool, well, let me know how that goes for you, right? The sick man says, I have nobody to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. He's been an invalid for 38 years. I'm reading a little bit of grumpiness, maybe a little bit of whining. I can't figure out his response, but I think that in the circ- considering his circumstances, it's fair to say, at which point Jesus looks at him He says, get up, three things, get up take up your bed and walk. Three commands, get up, take up your bed and walk. And it says that once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Let's just sit with that for a moment before we move on. I don't wanna wanna race through this because here it is. Paul wrote in Philippians that Jesus in very nature God didn't consider that equality but came down into our reality, assuming the form of a servant. This son of God came into the pool of Bethesda and said, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. I wonder what his first steps were like. You think they were timid. He's been an invalid for 38 years. I would picture him as kind of strutting around. Personally, that's just me. Says he got up. He was healed and he was immediately in trouble. That's the next observation I'd like to make with you is that Jesus interacting with your brokenness very often leads to conflict. Verse 10, it says, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. What are you doing? Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately, this guy's in trouble because he had broken Sabbath law. Now, for those of us who aren't Sabbath law experts, just a quick orientation. Uh, the Sabbath, honoring the Sabbath was, for, for in Judaism, one of the big 10, right? The 10 commandments that God gave Moses after rescuing Israel from uh, slavery in Egypt. The 10 commandments, don't kill people, don't steal, right? Honor your father and mother, my personal favorite and honor the Sabbath. Sabbath was a big deal in the first century. Sabbath is a big deal in Judaism. And one of the reasons I believe that to be so is because seven days of work followed by seven days of work followed by seven days of work, guess what? You are a slave to doing. And God said with the Sabbath, I want you to punctuate your work with rest. I want you to honor me. I want you to trust me. And what happened though is early Jewish leaders said, we want to do that, but what does that mean to honor the Sabbath? So they began to develop these even further restrictions, these these gates that were keeping them even further away from breaking the Sabbath. And by the first century, there were 39 different categories of Sabbath law that they were supposed to honor. They had a Sabbath law for plowing and for for planting their crops. They had a a Sabbath law for harvesting. They had a Sabbath law for carrying your burden, which is what this guy was in trouble for. 39 Sabbath laws, each of those with subcategories and expectations and guidelines. My goodness, it must have been exhausting to relax in the first century, (laughs) right? They had taken this beautiful day of rest and turned it into the greatest workday just to navigate their own rules and regulations. This man says in verse 11, the guy who healed me didn't even know Jesus' name at that point. The man said, take up your bed and walk, and I did it. And at this point now, he went from grumpy whining to kind of deflecting. He's like, "I, I, I don't know. I do not know. He just said to get up, and I did. What do you think about my dance moves? And they said, who is this man who said, take up your bed and walk? Now, here's another question. We're talking about questions Jesus asked. These religious leaders asked a question of their own. Does that seem like the wrong question to you? Who is this guy who's breaking the rules? Who is this rufian? Here's the man who has been broken for 38 years, and he's strutting around the pool. And they say, who told you to do this? Seems like a missed opportunity to me. I I would have probably wanted to say, so how did this happen? Who healed you? What what did it feel like? How how are you feeling now? I would have wanted to dive into this miracle. That's Who did this? And things are going to escalate quickly here at the Pool of Bethesda. These religious leaders are going to go, we have our reservations about what you're talking about to this guy's got to go. Verse 18, a little bit further on, it says, they were seeking all the more to kill Jesus in part because he was breaking the Sabbath law. And our response, friends, when it comes to the conflict that Jesus stirs up, especially when we look at the text like this, we say, those guys, those self-righteous jerks, Why would they want to kill Jesus? Here's why. Sabbath law was at the center of Jewish legal and religious systems. And if they started to have questions about the validity of their rules around Sabbath, they would inevitably have to question their whole system. Because if we're wrong about Sabbath we might have been wrong about fasting. If we're wrong about fasting, boy, what would that mean about our rules about who we get to eat with and who we shouldn't eat with? We would have to question the laws about everything that we do. It wasn't just about Sabbath here. That's why they were so concerned. Questioning Sabbath rule, friends, could have the consequence of crashing their entire system. And here's the point of why I think it's important to identify with these religious leaders rather than just think of them as self-righteous jerks as we often tend to do. Because the reality is, if you've practiced listening to Jesus for any length of time, if you've explored the message of hope that we have in Scripture, if you've followed Jesus, his words, and his ways, you will not be surprised that Jesus will mess with your system. Do you want to be well? It will mess with your system. Part of the call of Jesus is to turn consumers to pursuing radical generosity, and that will mess with your system. Jesus will call those who are addicted to busyness to find holy rest, and that will throw your carefully scheduled life upside down. Jesus calls the powerful to become humble servants. It will tilt your world upside down when Jesus messes with your system. Jesus calls the deeply wounded to forgive those who have wounded them. And if something in your spirit says, no thanks, nah, I'm I'm okay. It's just a little limp. Any Monty Python fans? It's just a flesh wound. If we're here and we say, nah, no thank you, then we're close to understanding why these religious leaders were so up in arms about what Jesus did. And personally, I have a hunch that Jesus was very intentional in this moment. He healed this guy on the Sabbath. Listen, the way first century Judaism was established, there's no way you could forget that it was a Sabbath. They built their whole week around this. They built their whole lives around preparing for a day of rest. I think Jesus used this situation to raise the question, what are you gonna do with me? What are you gonna do with me? With your system. Are you gonna choose your system? That's led you pretty well for the last 38 years laying by the pool. Are you gonna choose me? My way or your way? My kingdom or your kingdom? My will or your kingdom? Your will. Because if you follow Jesus for any length of time, Jesus will mess your systems up. All of the things that you've stacked up and tried to make as seamless as possible. This question, do you want to be well? I really think it is a moment that the Holy Spirit is at work when we ask that question. Because I believe the Holy Spirit is softening those points in our lives Where our system, our hurts, our own brokenness needs to say, yeah, okay. And I think it's a simple, a very simple step. For some of us, maybe it's the first time. For some of us, a hundred times we've taken this step of just saying, okay, yeah, your will be done. I talked about the Lord's prayer last week. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my brokenness as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Do you wanna be well? I wanna take the last moments just to to follow up with this broken guy who Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. Because it says in verse 14, let me find it here. Afterward, so again, this guy didn't even know who it was. Some dude just told me to pick up my mat, and I did. Check it out. You want to see how high he can jump? Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. Thanks for doing me the solid. Yeah, I'm feeling great. See, you're doing well, Jesus says. And he kind of takes a hard turn here. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Huh. okay. That wasn't the Jesus I was looking for, was it? Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you seems to me that Jesus recognized that this man was simultaneously well and unwell. There was something that happened, and I have to remember something when I hear that, and when I look at that, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen. Because when I'm broken, I'm actually dealing with two problems, right? This guy's like, no, 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 it's just a flesh wound, it's just a, a medical issue. No, 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 I, I just have a financial problem that's not well. I just have a problem at work. But really what Jesus is saying is that no, there's not just the one problem, there's two. This guy, he, he, he had a problem here, but he also had a problem here. Jesus says, I, I want you to be well all the way through and through. There's suffering that's inflicted on you. And then there's suffering that you inflict. There's something that's happening to you and something that's happening in you. When Jesus met this man in the temple later, oh, you're well, now don't sin. And there's another account of Jesus healing a a man on a mat. Uh, Mark's gospel starts with this almost first thing, chapter two, Jesus is teaching and, and the house is packed. He, he is just drawing people in. And there's, a, there's an account here, that, and actually the other Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels record this as well. People are so excited. They're packed in the house. There's no room in the inn, if you get what I'm talking about. And Mark, we, we read, uh, records that these four guys bring their friend who is on a mat. He's paralyzed. They wanna see Jesus. They wanna see the miracle. They wanna see Jesus look at him and say, do you wanna be well? They can't get to him. And so these guys take it upon themselves to do a little bit of home renovation, give the, the house owner there a skylight, and they lower this man to, into Jesus. And in Mark chapter 2, what's the first thing that Jesus says to this guy? He doesn't say, come on up. He says, your sins are forgiven. Because there's more than just the one problem, the very easy to, to identify problem. Your sins are forgiven. I can only imagine being there. The guys are you know, on the roof watching this transparent. Like, dude, we did not just do all of this just for you to say that. Can you see he's on a mat for a reason? He is unwell. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, by the way, get up and walk. There's problems out here and there's problems in here. And if you and I are ever in the place where we're dealing with hardship and I wager that most all of us have faced something challenging, some sort of brokenness. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. I would, in fact, contend that's part of the human reality that we come to places where we are confronted by our own brokenness. First, here's what I want you to know. Jesus sees you right where you're at, right in the mud pit, laying by the pool of Bethesda. Jesus sees you. And I would say that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus draws near to you in that brokenness. And when the question comes, do you want to be well? If we're willing to say yes, recognize that Jesus is going to mess your system up. Because he's going to say, I want you to be well. Because that's my father's kingdom, not your kingdom at work. He wants to address the problems in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's kingdom work, not my work. I'll close with this quote, and then we'll pray. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, wrote a, a book called The Great Divorce. And he wrote in this book, he said, in the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to the Lord, thy will be done. And those to whom the Lord says, thy will be done. We get to say, I'm in. My system is not as good as your system. My will is not perfect like yours. My ways are not high like yours. I'm going to trust you with my brokenness. Because Jesus is in the business of bringing healing day by day as we relinquish control, as we trust him, as we make our heart's prayer and our life's uh, patterns to say, your will be done here in my mess. Your kingdom come here in my brokenness as it is in heaven. Could we pray? Jesus, thank you for your word. I thank you that We see again and again throughout the scriptures, again and again throughout these gospels, these accounts of of your ministry, that you enter into our reality. You see the hurts and pains, sometimes visible, sometimes not. And you give us a simple, not always easy, but simple question Do you want to be well? Lord, would your Holy Spirit be at work in our lives, softening our hearts to hear that question. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? And as we hear you ask that, I pray for courage, for boldness, for trust, that we would be willing to say, okay, I'm gonna choose you over my system. Lord, I pray for healing, I pray for comfort, I pray for peace for every person here. In your powerful name, Jesus, amen, amen.
1: Ben, thank you so much. That's some really good stuff. Thank you. It's uh, so often when you read the Bible, it's easy to, Uh, Place yourself in judgment over a lot of the characters, especially the Pharisees, and to sometimes be forced to be stepped into their shoes and see how much you are them, or I am them. is a good thing, so again, good stuff. It's great to be here to worship with you this morning. Uh, As I said before, there's these cards here on your chair, great for either like personal reflection or uh, your community group or maybe around the table with family and friends. So I just encourage you to make use of those. And uh, if you have some need for prayer, please come on up here. We'll have people to pray with you. Aside from that, guys, just go out into this week. Be at the feet of Jesus. Remember that we are just ordinary people. We're following an extraordinary God together. We'll see you next week.
0: We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital Connect card at thehubcitychurch.com.
1: We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.